Okay, I, I added the reverb. As you can hear. This image originates in the unconscious and therefore belongs to those this is like Latin or something cog cog it tan tat iones que sunt a nobus independentes which in the opinion of Arnold Gulinks are prompted by God and do not spring from our own thinking. Goethe, Goethe, I still don't know that guy's name, the the German author, very prominent person in Europe, I suppose. Maybe America too. Who knows? Thinks of synchronistic events in the same magical way. Thus, he says in his conversations with Eckerman, we all have a certain electric and magnetic powers within us, and ourselves exercise an attractive and repelling force according as we come in touch with something like or unlike. After these general considerations, let us return to the problem of the empirical basis of synchronicity. The main difficulty here is to produce empirical material from which we can draw reasonably certain conclusions. And unfortunately, this difficulty is not an easy one to solve. The experiences in question are not ready to hand. We must therefore look in the most, in the obscurest corners and summon up the courage to shock the prejudices of our age. Let us take a note on that one, and let me read that one again. We must, therefore, why therefore? Because there are not, there is, it's difficult, not easy to solve. We must therefore look in the obscurest corners and summon up the courage to shock the prejudices of our age. Man, oh man, that sounds like comedy. That sounds like art. It sounds like art, which applies to a lot of things. But in this case, we're talking about where... My personal lens tends to be a comedic lens. We must therefore look in the most obscure... Okay. If, if we want to broaden our basis of our, of our understanding of nature, when Galileo discovered the moons of Jupiter with his telescope, he immediately came into a head-on collision with the prejudices of his learned contemporaries. Nobody knew what a telescope was and what it could do. Never before had anyone talked of the moons of Jupiter. Naturally, every age thinks that all ages before it were prejudiced, and today we think this more than ever, and are just as wrong as all previous ages that 
thought so. How often we have not seen the truth condemned. It is sad but unfortunately true that man learns nothing from history. This melancholy fact will present us with the greatest difficulties as soon as we set about collecting empirical material that would throw a little light on this dark subject, for we shall be quite certain to find it where all authorities have assured us that there is nothing to be found. Don't go in that, don't go in that corner. Don't look at the trick. I want to read that one again. For we shall be quite certain to find it where all authorities have assured us that there is nothing to be found. Seems like we're on a search for the truth here. Reports of remarkable isolated cases, however well authenticated, are unprofitable and lead at most to their reporter being regarded as a credulous person. Credulous, I think, means uh, very eager and ready to believe something. Even the careful recording and verification of a large number of cases, as in the work of Gurney, Myers, and Podmore, have made next to no impression on the scientific world. The great majority of professional, in quotes, psychologists and psychiatrists seem to be completely ignorant of these researches. Moving on to a different chapter. The results of the ESP and PK experiments have provided a statistical basis for evaluating the phenomenon of synchronicity and at the same time have pointed out the important part played by the psychic factor. This fact prompted me to ask whether it would not be possible to find a method which would on one hand demonstrate the existence of synchronicity and on the other hand disclose psychic contents which would at least give us a clue to the nature of the psychic factor involved. I asked myself, in other words, whether there were not a method which would yield measurable results at the same time give us insight into the psychic background of synchronicity, that there are certain essential psychic conditions for synchronistic phenomenon. We have already seen from the ESP experiments. Although the latter are in the in the nature of the case restricted to the fact of coincidence and only stress its psychic background without illuminating any any further. <coughs> I had known for a long time that there were intuitive or mant mantic methods. Don't I don't know what mantic means. Let's let's <coughs> let's search let's see what mantic means. To the dictionary. Gosh, I keep touching all my materials here. Mantic. Gosh. It's from the 19th century, meaning mantis means prophet. Ooh, psychomantis from uh, freaking relating to divination or prophecy. What's prophecy? Prediction. Divination is practice of seeking knowledge. Of the future or the unknown by spirit, supernatural means. All right. 
back to the back to the reading. Let's see here. I'm gonna put this up a little bit. Yes, right there. Okay. I had long known for a long time there were intuitive or mantic methods which start with the psychic factor and take the existence of synchronicity as self-evident. I therefore turned my attention first all to the intuitive technique for grasping the total situation which is so characteristic of China, namely the I Ching or Book of Changes. Unlike the Greek-trained Western mind, the Chinese mind does not aim at grasping details for their own sake, but at a view which sees the detail as part of the whole. For obvious reasons, a cognitive operation of this kind is impossible to the unaided intellect. Judgment must therefore rely much more on the irrational functions of consciousness, that is, on sensation and intuition. The I Ching, which we can call the experimental foundation of classic Chinese philosophy is one of the oldest known methods for grasping a situation as a whole and thus placing the details against a cosmic background. The interplay of yin and yang. This grasping of the whole is obviously the aim of science as well, but it is a goal that necessarily lies far off because science, whenever possible, proceeds experimentally and in all cases, statistically. Experiment, however, consists in asking a definite question which excludes as far as possible anything disturbing and irrelevant. It makes conditions, imposes them on nature, and in this way forces her to give an answer to a question devised by man. She is prevented from answering out of the fullness of her possibilities since these possibilities are restricted as far as practicable. For this purpose there is created, in a laboratory, a situation which is artificially restricted to the question and which compels nature to give an unequivocal answer. The workings of nature in her unrestricted wholeness are completely excluded. If we want to know what these workings are, we need a method of inquiry which imposes the fewest possible conditions, or if no possible conditions, conditions at all, and then leaves nature to answer out her own fullness. In the laboratory experiment, the known and established procedure forms the stable factor in the statistical compilation and comparison of the results in the intuitive or mantric experiment with the whole. On the other hand, there is no need of any question which imposes conditions and restrictions the wholeness of the natural process. It is given every possible chance to express itself. In the I Ching, the coins fall, just as it happens to suit them. From the point of view of an observer, an unknown question is followed by a rationally unintelligible answer. Thus far, the conditions for a total reaction are positively ideal. The disadvantage, however, leaps to the eye. In contrast to the scientific experiment, one does not know what has happened. To overcome the drawback, two, two Chinese sages, King Wen and the Duke of Zhou, in the 12th century before our era, and this was written in the 1900s, basing themselves on the hypothesis of the unity of nature, sought to explain the simultaneously occurrence of a psychic state with a physical process. That's what we're really trying to get here. Psychic state, 
physical process. Immaterial, material. I believe faith has something to do with that. If we want to view it as a joke, it'd be what the joke sounds like and what it is about, the meaning and the presentation. In other words, sought to explain the simultaneous occurrence of a psychic state with a physical process, an equivalence of meaning. Write that down, write it in your notes, an equivalence of meaning. Ooh, love it. And isn't that we what we want in our jokes? Is that the joke means what we're trying to say? An equivalence of meaning. What I'm saying, what I'm doing means what I'm saying, and what I'm saying means what I'm doing. Something like that. In other words, they suppose that the same living reality was expressing itself in the psychic state as in the physical. In the beginning, the word was made flesh. This is what I keep coming back to. In the beginning, the word was with God. The word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. The word became flesh. The spiritual became material. Something like that. Love this. Equivalence of meaning. Gotta get a highlighter. Alright. Got it. So, I mean, this is really the objective of any joke. Is to have, is the equivalence of meaning. And of course I'm talking about ideals. I'm not talking about if you just want to tell dick, uh, dick jokes. And, and that's fine, but let me do my thing, you do your thing. How about that? In other words, they suppose that the same living reality was expressing itself in the psychic state. Let's, uh, here we go, same living reality. That reminds me of, you know, the living God. There's only one God, and he's a living God. Every other God is actually dead. Not living, meaning. But in order to justify such a hypothesis, some limiting condition was needed in this apparently limitless experiment, namely a definite form of the physical procedure, a method or technique which forced nature to answer in even and odd numbers. These, as representative of yin and yang, are found both in the unconscious and in nature, in the characteristic form of opposites, as mother and father of everything that happens. And they, therefore, form the tertium component Portionis between the psychic inner world and the physical outer world. So we got a psychic inner and a physical outer. First thing, what we got to do is figure out what this Latin word means. Tert tertum compartionis. So maybe it's something compartments, three compartments. Let's write it in Google. Tertium. Here it is. Tertium compartus. Okay. There it is. 
Oh my god. So it means uh, Latin for the third part of the comparison. What the quality that two things are being compared have in common. Okay, so basically the third part of comparison is the quality that two things which are compared have in common. It is the point of comparison which prompted the author of the comparison in question to liken someone or something to someone or something else in the first place. This is a big discovery here because this is what we're doing when we tell jokes, when we're telling ideas, because we're trying to link ideas together, having observations, making one thing like another thing. And it doesn't even matter the quality of the two things. People just find it amazing that there are similar things that are not similar being found. Uh, let me just read the whole wiki uh, thing right now. Let's start over here. Tertium comparationis. <laughs> oh. Latin for the third part of the comparison is the quality that two things which are compared have in common. It is the point of comparison which prompted the author of the comparison in question to liken someone or something to someone or something else in the first place. If a comparison visualizes an action, state, quality, object, or person by means of a parallel which is drawn to a different entity, the two things which are being compared do not necessarily have to be identical. However, I'm, I'm hearing the scriptures right now. However, rep. Oh my god, I'm like... <laughs> so my uh, highlighter is crying. <laughs> it is leaking all over my book. And my hand. Man, that is some cold liquid. Highlighter liquid is pretty cold. <clears throat> uh... If a comparison visualizes... Okay, they don't necessarily have to be identical. However, they may possess at least one quality in common. This common quality has traditionally been referred to as the tertium carp... carp... comparationis. The most common devices used to achieve this are metaphors and similes, especially, but by no means exclusively, in poetic language. In many cases... One aspect of the comparison is implied rather than made explicit. The comparison is implied rather than made explicit. Ret, ret, ret. Come on now. Tertium comparation is. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's implied. So it's that's, that's on another level of comedy where where it's up to the person watching it. Your that person is the missing link. In the, it's not, here I am giving you, I'm not going to spell it all out for you. You're going to have to use your mind. You're the missing puzzle piece in the, not in life, but in the 
in the formula of this joke. So maybe, maybe I'm talking about my comedy now. Now with this style that I'm walking in and finding and discovering, and maybe I know it. Maybe I know it a hundred percent right now, but I don't. I can't articulate it a hundred percent. But whatever this style is, what do we have? One-liners. One-liners, uh, setup, punch, premise, premises, premise, call out, act out. Maybe this is just a new word that is a certain thing. But uh, let's see. I mean, this is just so awesome here. Here it is. In many cases, one aspect of the comparison is implied rather than made explicit. I mean, isn't that the thing? And then you can also play with that. You know, with most comics, it's like, this this one thing that's like, this one thing's kind of like, like a penis, right? But what if we can be a little more subtle, a little more class, a little more classy and imply it rather than make it explicit? This continues on. The New Testament scholar Adolf Jusler, maybe that's exactly who, uh, let's see, according to the New Testament scholar, applied the concept of tertium compartionis in the, to a parable of Jesus. According to Jusler, a parable or simil- similitude Extended a simil a parable or a similitude is an extended simile or metaphor has three parts a picture part okay a picture part man this is so cool so here it is the picture part a reality part and a point of comparison between the picture part and the reality part. <laughs> And here's the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells that all that he has and buys that field. In the parable, the picture part is the hidden treasure. The reality part is God's kingdom and the tertium. What is this? In the tertium comparationis is the inestimable value of the kingdom. Well, I didn't even have to find the scripture. The scripture found me. Uh, didn't even. I'm just look. I'm just reading this book about psychology. Took me to uh, a Latin word. What is that? And let's so let's go back to the book. And now that we know what it is, and we can add that to our comedy so basically there is a there's a picture of what we're doing which is the simile or metaphor then this the real thing which we are referencing and then what there's a third thing which i mean let's read this again the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden in a field which is the picture part which someone found and hid and his joy goes back. Oh, the kingdom of heaven is the reality part in this case which i guess this is where the, the real tension of the joke or tension of the dialogue you know between people come from the use the tension because then the kingdom of heaven right so people don't even believe in the kingdom of heaven yet it is obviously real so the kingdom of heaven is a reality the treasure is like a treasure like everything after like is a picture 
And then this last part, which someone hid uh, in a field, he sells all that he has and buys the field. So it's the the uh, inestimable value of the kingdom is the this uh, third part of a comparison. So it's just so it may, may, this is maybe the, the the opening right here is that when we're comparing something, usually usually people go, "This thing is like that thing," and then everyone's like, "Ha ha, that thing is like that thing," but this one goes, "This thing." is like this and there's a new thing that comes out of that a way forward it's not just a enclosed circle let us go back to the book and see knowing this third comparison this third point of comparison so now we're talking about uh this so there's a there's a psychic inner physical outer and there's a third part of the way they're linked there's some kind of third <coughs> Some third part to it. Thus the two sages devise a method by which the inner state could be represented as an outer one and vice versa. This naturally presupposes an intuitive knowledge for the meaning of each oracle figure. The I Ching therefore consists of a collection of 64 interpretations in which the meaning of each of the possible yin-yang combinations worked out. These Interpretations formulate the inner unconscious knowledge and correspond to a state of consciousness at the moment. And this psychological situation, I'm going to highlight that, psychological situation coincides with the chance results of the method that is with odd and even numbers resulting from the fall of the coins. Uh, the method, like all divinity, or intuitive techniques is based on an acausal or synchronistic connective principle. In practice, as an unprejudiced person will admit, many obvious cases of synchronicity occur during the experiment, which could be rationally and somewhat arbitrarily explained away as mere projections. But if one assumes that they are really what they appear to be, then they can only be meaningful coincidences for which, as far as we know, there is no causal explanation. The method consists either in dividing the 49 yarrow stalks into two heaps at random and counting off the heaps by threes and fives or throwing three coins six times, each line of the hexagram being determined by... He's explaining how the Chinese I Ching works. My God, this highlighter is crying. The experiment is based on... Uh, here it is. experiment is based off the tridic principle two trigrams. I don't even know what a trigram is. I'm going to look that up. And contains 64 mutations since uh, 64 mutations, each corresponding to a psychic situation. There is that word again, psychic situation. There's a psychological situation. And I wonder if they're the same here. Uh, these are discussed at length in the text and appeared appended commentaries. There is also a Western method a very ancient origin which is based on the same general principles as I Ching. The only difference being that in the West, this principle is not tridic, but significantly enough tetradic. And the result is not a hexagram built up of yin and yang lines, but six figures composed of odd and even numbers. Twelve of them are arranged according to the certain rules in the astrological houses. The experiment is based on four by four lines consisting of random number points, which the questioner marks... Wow, i got to throw this highlighter away because that highlighter... Literally, you should see. Oh, this is like an art project now. 
which the question of Marx and Sander Papal from right to left in true oriental fashion, the combination of all these factors goes into considerably more detail than the I Ching. Here are two, here too are any amount of meaningful coincidences, but they're hard to, hard, they're, they are as a rule harder to understand and therefore less obvious than the latter. In the Western method, which was known since the 13th century as Ars Geomantica, or the art of the art of uh, punct- punction, puncta- punctation, uh, uh, the best account to be found. Okay, this is like magic, uh, or and enjoyed widespread vogue. There was no real commenters. Since it was only mantic and never philosophical like that of the I Ching, and then I forgot what does mantic mean? Mantic. Back, back, back. Mantic? Did it just mean uh, relating to divination or prophecy? Okay, well, we got to stop there. But, so, what have we learned? Um. There, what have we learned? We've learned that between two things, things don't just have to be compared to each other. They can be compared to each other, and there can be something after that. Um, this is valuable to communication. Uh, it's another tool in your your kit box there. I'm hitting this thing so much. Um, let's see. And the last thing we're going to do is just sing a song about what we learned. <coughs> wow. Day. And I learned a new Latin word It's called something like Tardactus dicolalium I can't remember how it really goes And I don't need to All I got to know is that There's a third point of comparison Between two objects And I think it was no mistake That in the Wikipedia entry there was a scripture and that scripture said it said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and finding that treasure you sell all these things and your friends are like what are you doing and you're like you don't oh just wait so the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field and you go home and you sell that home and everyone's like what are you doing you're like just wait Ooh, yeah i got the treasure yeah so uh i think i think we're done here